Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We are going to read John chapter 1, um, beginning verse 1 down to verse 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, Chuck presented an overview of the gospel according to John. And he stated as such because there are, again, these multiple gospel accounts, but John's account is different. So last week, Chuck shared its fit, its form, and its function. Um, And I thought it was pretty catchy how he he used the the product that that they make in, in bringing that out into there. When you consider the writing of a book, I've thought about this numerous times. I have... Numerous books I want to write. Um, want to write. But I never get past the first page. Because when you write a book, the two most important parts, which I've never figured out how in doing a message. When I give a message, and when we come to the end, you know, it's coming down. And you never want to fly on air bob, okay? And so, but the, it's just... I'm, I'm business, man. Jumping in. Marshall always says, would you please welcome the people? Say hi. How are you? It's like, this is business, man. I mean, let's jump into the good stuff. Why am I going to waste my time with the fluffy uh, welcomes? Anyways, but when you write a book, you've got to be able to introduce your subject in a catchy manner that's going to grab the attention of the people that they read this and they say what? I want to read the rest of this. I, I want to hear what is, got, is being said here. John does exactly that. Now, what's exciting about John is that you've got to understand, in my mind, who John is. Chuck didn't bring a lot of this part of it out, and so I want to just kind of highlight this real fast, but I've got a lot to share, so I've got to fly through this. But it's a marvel. When you read, for me, when I read the book of John... It is um, an incredible, marvelous writing because you've got to understand who John was. In the testimony of the Sanhedrin, he was an uneducated and untrained man. He was a nobody. He was a fisherman. He was a Galilean fisherman. He was on the boat with his dad, mending the nets. That's what he did. That's what he was going to do. 
I mean, if you were the son of a fisherman, when you grew up, what were you going to do? You're going to fish. He didn't worry about going out and being educated. He didn't have to worry about knowing calculus. He needed to know what? Probably the moon phases. He needed to know how to read the the sky to know whether there was going to be a storm. And he he needed to know where the fish were. Pretty basic stuff, because that's what he was going to do. He was going to go out, and he knew needed to what? Know how to throw out the, the, the net as well to make sure, you know, and kind of get it all tangled, and you don't go out with it. That's probably an important thing. And so he's going to throw the net out, and he's going to bring fish back in, right? It's an amazing thing, okay? But do you realize that this Galilean fisherman wrote one of the most philosophically profound books ever written. And that's because he didn't write it. Now you're wondering where I'm going with this, right? But we know from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is what? God breathed. That onustost, that God breathed it. And that holy men wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so, though we call this the gospel according to John, and God used the man, John the fisherman, as I read it, it just gives greater and greater testimony and wonder to this whole concept of the inspiration, the God-breathing of the Scriptures. Because God took this Galilean fisherman, whose language was what? Hebrew, Aramaic, potentially, because that was a common language back then. Jesus came and spoke Hebrew to Paul when he was on the the way to Damascus. So Hebrew and Aramaic. But this book was written in Greek. John lived in Israel most of his life. But when the dispersion happened, when the persecutions happened, Years after Jesus' death, John wound up moving to the city of Ephesus. And it's actually from the city of Ephesus that this book is written. And so God moved John into a location where he would become better in his usage of the common language of the world not the common language of Galilee. Because his message wasn't going to be just for the Galileans. His message wasn't going to be just for the Jews, but his message was going to be for the whole world. And in this beginning part, the prologue, as, as Chuck put out in the outline last week, in this introduction, if you would, that John presents, he presents some pretty deep, profound Jewish and Greek thought processes. That for those who were Jews and those who were of that Gnostic background, as Chuck pointed out last week, and we can talk about that some other time, but I don't want to get into Gnosticism today, that that terms are being used that'll prick their conscience pique their interest and communicate the deity of Christ in a pretty straight and marvelous way. John, through his book, presents what I see as this twofold purpose. Now, understand that this came from me that's what Chuck was presenting. And so this is normally, people would look at the Son of God. But for Bob, as I meditated and analyzed and, and thought on this thing, prayed about it, um, I'm, I'm reminded of where John was historically as well. <clears throat> this account is written probably in the 80s. I don't think it was probably the 90s. We don't know, but it was 80s and 90s. But the point is 
that it is, if Jesus died somewhere between 29 and 33 AD, okay, I'm, I'm making a wide swath for any various opinions that are here, okay? I probably hit yours, okay? Say again? Close? No, no, it's got to be in that 29, otherwise you're, you're a heretic, get out of here. Anyways, um, I'm messing with you. Um, but let's say 29 to 33. If this was written even in the earliest dating, for, for me, some want to try to say this is written in the 50s and 60s because, again, they're all millennialists, okay? And so they have to have all the writings of John occur before the destruction of Jerusalem, okay? And so they manipulate things because they want it to be con- consistent with the theologies. Don't do that. Believe what the Word of God says and allow your thought processes to be conformed to him, not him to be conformed to you. So, so let's say it's 83, this is written 50 years, even at the narrowest, beyond. So anywhere from 50 to 60 years after Jesus died. And already by this point, the church is being filled with heretics. The word heresy is the word for division, is literally what the Greek word means. It means division. And so the division was occurred, occurred by false teachers who came in and taught taught a false gospel. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy because someone may come in with another Jesus, another spirit, or another gospel, and you may very well accept them. So the false teachers were already abounding. John says in his first epistle, he says, he says, you've heard that Antichrist has come, and I tell you that Antichrists are already among you. They're already there. If anybody denies that Jesus came in the flesh, he is Antichrist. And so the Gnostics, that's exactly what they taught. That, that this, as Chuck mentioned last week, that the Holy Spirit, thank you, that the Holy Spirit um, came upon Jesus at baptism and then left him before he died on the cross. Because God couldn't have done that. Because they, again, refuse to believe what God declares in his word. And truly, the triunity of God, I know most people call it the trinity. I, I like triunity, okay? That the triunity of God is, is the stumbling point for almost all of mankind. How do you get God becoming a man. And yet, that's it. And so, underlying, even though this is what John is presenting, the Son of God who took on flesh to become the Lamb of God in order to take away the sin of the world, the reason, the purpose, the underlying purpose and reason that he is penning this is because of the division of the church. That the church needed to be unified in truth. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, if you abide in my word, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But there has got to be this desire, this willingness to submit to the truth. And so in Romans chapter 1, we read that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men because although they knew God, they didn't worship God, rather they suppressed the truth. So Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All three parts of the triunity of God are involved in your redemption process. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who convicts you and draws you to the redemption of God the Son, who points you then to worship God the Father. Not three gods. One God who has manifested himself, and that's saying it so wrongly because it sounds like 
I'm, I'm diminishing the three parts, who's manifested himself in three persons. And that's the hardest thing for us to comprehend. And yet, standing here in front of you, I'd love to ask this question over Good News Club. Just be honest, okay? And so some of you heard this before, so you can't play this out, okay? How many of you can see me? If you can see me, put up your hand. Okay. Yeah, that's all most people say. But you know I'm setting you up, right? Because the reality is you can't see me. This is an optical illusion. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a holograph. No, anyways. So, zoom in on me. As, yeah, look in my eyes. I am not what you see. This is only the tent that I am living in. I am part and parcel. If you step on my foot, I'm going to say, ouch, get off my foot, because I will feel it. And yet, you can't kill me. You can stop this tent from existing on the earth, but I live inside this tent. If you cut off my arms, am I still me? If you cut off my arms, you cut off my leg, and I look like I'm in a, um, one of those old, uh, <clears throat> anyways, um, Monty Python movies. And, 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 and sorry. sorry. Come on, back. Anyways, am I still me? I'm still me. If you cut off my arms, you cut off my legs, and you burn me in a fire so that I've lost all my beard and mustache and everything else, and I don't look like this at all, am I still me? I am still me. So I'm at least two parts, aren't I? I have an outer part and I have an inner part. And you realize that my inner part is divided into two as well? Because really, that's my soul we're talking about. You're talking about my personality. You're talking about what I, what I talk to you. But there's a spirit that's in within me as well. In Hebrews chapter 4, it tells us that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword and is able to divide asunder even between the soul and the spirit. And so in me, looking at me, do you understand? You see three parts. There is a triunity, if you would, of Bob. A body that relates to the earth, a soul that relates to people, and a spirit that relates to God. I can't comprehend that. How can I ever comprehend that in the bigger concept of God? And yet it is true. And that's what John is about to present in such a marvelous way. So, I'm excited. Let's get to it, as uh, Chuck ended last week. So, as we go into John chapter 1, again, I've got a lot of slides, and I'm excited because they forgot to turn the clocks um, forward. So, I, at this point, have an hour and a half to preach. So, (laughs) Mark's moving. (laughs) Um, So, I've got a lot, okay? So, hang on tight. We're going to fly through this. And so, in the beginning... It's the beginning, right? Is the identification of who the Word is. Because we're going to be introduced here to this, the Word. In the beginning was the Word. So we're going to find out stuff about the Word. And I have so much that I want to share that's not going to be shared today. I'm going to give you a hint a little bit later on, but I got so much underlying this thing that I just want to bubble out with it, and it would take me a couple hours, and you don't want me to do that. So, but in the beginning was... The word. Now, right off the bat, you need to understand that John is smacking the Jewish mind. He begins his book with the same beginning of the beginnings. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, the word. Hello? Jewish mind. Boop, 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 boop. Put on your Jewish mind right now. This is a, I mean, as again, we think as Gentile believers living in the 22nd century. Am I right on that one? I almost said 21st, but we're in the 22nd century. Ooh, I'm old. Anyways, for those who were born in the 22nd century, it doesn't seem like much to you, but anyways. But in the 22nd century, and so we think like Christians in America, and we, we miss this whole concept of what is John... Oh, we are in the 21st century because it's 2000. We're not in 21, whatever. I'm, real, I'm not that old yet. I feel good then. I still have a thousand years to live. Anyways, so the, the reality is that he was 
putting this, this, this shot across their bow, like, bam, immediately. They'd stop and they'd go, whoa, 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 whoa. Did he just say what I thought he just said? I mean, that statement is reserved for God and God alone. In the beginning was the word. They understood what the beginning was. The beginning was not when the earth was there. The beginning was before the earth. What was before Genesis 1-1? God. We talked the last message in Proverbs two weeks ago, talking about the the philosophical question, right? The, The base philosophical question. And that is, who or what is the uncaused cause? Whatever you determine to be the uncaused cause, that's your God. That's whatever was in the beginning. John says, it was the word. But note the next part. This is kind of good if you're, if you're one who wants to go against the deity of Christ, right? Because then the next thing we see is that the word was with God. The word was with God. Ah, because the word what? Wasn't God. The word was only with God. And so the word was only with God. But we have this word pros. And so the word with generally would be translated from the, the Greek words meta or en. Okay? Um, meta, primarily. Meta means with. Okay? It can mean after, depending on the, the, the context. En is literally the word where we translate it in. But sometimes, baseball context, it may be with. Pros means in the presence of. Now, if you're in the presence of somebody, you are what? With them, okay? But it's, it's a more defined t- concept. He was in the presence of God. He wasn't just in heaven someplace. He was right there, okay? So think of Revelation when from the midst of the throne proceeded the Lamb. What does it mean, from the midst of the throne? Say again? From the throne. That would make sense to me. From the midst of the throne. the throne. I'm sitting on the throne, and from the midst of the throne, the lamb proceeded, right? And yet, there's the lamb outside the throne, and God's still on the throne. Figure that one out. Anyways, so, do you get it? That's, so, this is, I mean, he's getting ready to play this philosophical picture that it's going to cause your brain to spin. Because it's going to like, wait, but that doesn't, makes sense because the next statement he makes is what he was god now it's better than that it's it's so much better than that okay i'm getting ready to place not play some greek games with you it's they're not games but i'm getting ready to, to blow your mind so for those of you who have learned the greek okay you're going to get this for those who don't know greek i promise you you're going to get this so don't turn it off don't turn it off saying i don't know greek you will see it Okay, and, and Greek's not as hard to learn as you, as you think it is. Okay, so this is going to be a pattern thing. So as long as you can do patterns, okay, my shirt is blue. Ace's shirt is blue. We got patterns. Okay, we, we, we can do this, right? Blue and blue is not exact. He's got short sleeves. I got long sleeves, but you still see they're what? Blue, right? Okay, you can do this. I, so don't turn me off on this one. All right, here we go. Okay, because this is extremely important. This is John 1.1. Okay, in English, but also in the Greek, okay? And note that I put a box around some words, okay? Don't fall asleep on me now, okay? So we got the word, and we can see that the, the Greek word is the word logos. Can you see that? Oh, oh, looks like an S. Final sigma looks like an S, makes it easier on us, okay? And so you just got to kind of make that little thing that, it's an L, okay? So this is the lambda, and that, that thing that looks like a Y really is a gamma, Okay? Logos. You got it. See? Makes sense? And so you come down here and you see what? Logos. And you come down here under Word and you have... No, you don't have Logos. Actually, you actually, over here you have Logos. Hmm. Well, and then over here we got the word God. That's the word Theon. That's Theta. You've, if you've done math, you know Theta, right? Because, so it's, it's Theta, 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 okay? So um, T-H-E makes nice that the Epsilon in their, their thing looks like an E. Okay, and then the, the Omicron looks like an O. And then that V thing, that's really an N. Okay, so it's not Theov, that's actually Theon. Okay, and so Theon or Theos is the word God. 
So come down here to God, and we have, wait, we got Logos. That was over here. But over here, we have Theos. And so we got a problem. Now, David shared in his um, um, communion devotional last week, he told me that he actually shared this, and he looked up 22 different versions and, and, and saw that what I've stayed on this all the time is, is actually, is, it's there, okay? This is a big, 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 massively big deal to me. I, I have wondered to myself, am I going out in left field for years? I mean, I've just continually debated myself, and it's like, I know I'm right. I don't want to be arrogant. I'm, I'm trying not to be arrogant. I'm trying to be humble on this one. But it's like, I don't understand. I mean, do you see a problem here? Okay? Now, that is really the key issue, especially when it comes to a Jehovah Witness. Okay? Because that little O right there, like with the ton, the ha, the ha, okay? They're all the, the, the definite article. The, the, that O, that's ha, ton, ha, ha, that really is all the word the. The, 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 okay? Well, note that it's missing the the right there. And so they want, and if you talk to a Jehovah Witness, they're going to tell you that John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Because the definite article isn't there. And so it's a God. But I got a, we got an issue here. Theos is actually, in the Greek, the first word of that phrase not the final word english they're trying to do this parallelism about the word the word the word the word but i submit to you this has nothing to do with the word this is not a definition of the word this is a definition of god you get it now theos is used approximately 316 times in the new testament yes i looked them all up okay 14, about 14 times, I give it that I'll probably missed one or two, okay? That 14, because sometimes it's altos theos, which is um, this God, and stuff like that, okay? That about 14 times it's used without the definite article, okay? And so in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.5, we have a, a great picture of, of how this is used. And this is what it says in English. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. And so now you know Greek, okay? And you see the word theos, okay? And you know that's the word for God. And then you have martus, okay? That's there. That's where we get our word martyr from. Martus. Martureo is the word for witness, to be a testimony, okay? We use it as the word martyr, which means to die. Well, it's really meant to die for your testimony, okay? It's really the idea. And so it's a... Uh, a term that you'd use if you went to the court, you'd be a martyr, a martyr, you'd give your martyr, oh, you're, you'd be giving a testimony, okay? Anyways, but note the translation. If I used, if I went back to the former um, slide, I would have to flip those two, right? And I'd have to say that a, a witness is, is God. But it's not, because when it's used this way, it's not referring to him as the position, it's to him as the person. God is witness. Do you get it? Not the God, but the guy I'm talking about. God is witness. So, if I bring that back, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. God was the word. Do you get the significance of that? You can't walk away from that. Who is God? The word. How can the word... Now, here's, here's your philosophical problem here, just like the uncaused cause. Let this one just blow your brain, okay, and, 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 and dwell on this and philosophize this as long as you want. How can the word be with God and yet be God? Do you understand the, the mystery and marvel of the triunity of God? One plus one plus one. No, it's three. I love math. I hate when they talk about that. They do that. One plus one plus one equals one. No, that's not right. Because God, no, it's three. One plus one plus one is three. Here's the deal. It's because people who come up with that in my brain don't know the fullness of God. It's one times one. 
times one. Because in the end, you get one. But there's three facets. And when you calculate the, the volume of something, you don't add the sides. You what? Multiply the sides. If you want to know the fullness of the volume of God, multiply. Don't add. Don't, don't have three gods being added. They're one God. Three facets. Like a prism breaks that light <laughs> into not just eight colors, but all the shades that are in between. And as we're going to read in a moment, who's the word? He's also the light. It's amazing. All right, we've got to keep moving. He was the creator. All things, verse 3 and 4. All things. How many things? All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and then we drop down into verse 10 and says he was in the world and the world was made by him and without him was not anything or i'm sorry in the world he was in the world the world was made by him but the world knew him not so very clearly john is stating that the word is the one who what created everything now this is a pretty profound statement as well from hebrews chapter 3 we understand that um, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by what ah the word the word of god sometimes like when hebrews chapter 4 i quoted that earlier the 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 word of god is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword we think of it as the scriptures i think of it as jesus because he's my rest if you read hebrews chapter 4 it's all about the rest that they haven't entered into the rest. And then it talks about the word. Jesus is my rest. Jesus is the one who spoke all things into being. Again, we'll talk about that in a moment maybe. But by faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen are not made of things which are what? Visible. Now this is incredible because that's a bad translation as well. Was made, was made, was made. Literally, it's the word ginomai, which means to become or to happen. To become or to happen. In Genesis 1.1, what did God do? Well, he didn't speak there. That was verse 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What did he create it from? Nothing. There was nothing. There was God. Did he speak it? Did he poof it? We're not told. Verse 3, we're told, and God said, let there be light. We know that God at that moment, what? Spoke light into being. But God made out of nothing. Can I tell you that it just became? You figure that one out. How did something become when there was nothing there. I'm standing here and all of a sudden, poof, pick the person you want there. It's beside me. And it's not a holograph. Instantly, everybody's going to say, ooh, how did he do that? No, we don't have Star Trek. And no, we didn't just transport somebody down. You get it? That's how it is. I mean, how do you get something from nothing? And yet God did. And so John got it. John got it right as he's writing it. In the beginning, the word didn't necessarily create. He what? He caused it to be. And so that word bara, to create then, has within it this concept then from, for our perspective that God can even create and, and make something from Nothing. Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days, who? When it says capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, what is that? It's Yahweh, right? So for, six, for in six days, Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested. So who was the creator according to the law? Yahweh. Hmm. Who did we just read? Made all things. The word. Who must the word also be? Yahweh. We already decided he's God. 
And we know that Yahweh is God, so therefore Jesus must be Yahweh. Isaiah 45, verse 18, For thus says Yahweh, who created the heavens, who is God, if you had any questions about then, who he is, right? Who formed the earth and made it, who established it, and who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited, I am Yahweh in what? There is no other. I can't have time to go to Isaiah 43, verse 10 and 11. I am anyway. But anyways, where it says, You are my witnesses, saith Yahweh. You are my witnesses. Or Jehovah's Witnesses get their name from. That I alone am God. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be any after me. He's God alone. And he's the creator. Yahweh is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so think about this whole process. And yet Yahweh created all things by the word. That triunity is just a marvelous mystery. And then in him was what? Life. He is the creator and in him is life. Now this is, this is the part where I can't really tell you. I've got it an hour to two hours of just... I want to share with you my, my, my thought processes, and I can't go there. But I'll give you a nickel version, hopefully. Isaiah 42, verse 5. Thus says God, the Lord. Now, note I have in here, El Yahweh. Thus says the God, Yahweh. This isn't just as um, Yahweh Elohim or Yahweh Adonai. Thus says the God is the definition, Yahweh who created the heavens, who stretched them out, who spread forth the earth, that which comes from it, who gives breath, neshama, to the people on it, and spirit, ruach, to those who walk on it. Again, I don't have time for all this. Um, but here, in, in just a ni- nutshell, okay? Five, nickel version. You can talk to me later about this. In, in the Hebrew mind, in, is understanding, we would say that life is in the what? Blood. That's, no, no, that's okay. You're, you're on there. So, That's what Leviticus says, life is in the blood. But the Hebrew mind, they also understand that life is in the breath. All those who have the breath, the neshama of life in them. Okay? If if you don't breathe, you can't, what? Live. But if I let out the neshama, I'm dead. Because I need my, what? I need my machana. I, I need my breath. And so if I, oh, I'm dead. So there has to be something from outside of me that gives me more or new breath to come in and nourish me, to provide for me, to take care of me. That's the ruach. Which also is spirit which also is wind. And so it goes into the Greek with pneumos in the same way. That all those... And so when we get to John 3 and we talk about Nicodemus and he talks about, you know which way the wind blows and all this kind of... It just is all over that passage. And so... You can't... When you speak... Or I'm sorry, let's, let's go this way. When you read something or reading what something on a page words on the page that's true but really all you're all you're doing is looking at graphical representations or, or things that um, people have chosen to represent what breath that has passed over vocal cords are you tracking with me I gotta stop there. I can go. This creator God, the Word, the Word, is the one who breathes the breath of life. When we get to John 20 and, and, and we read that Jesus said, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, you'll get it. Is your eyes starting to get it? I mean, this thing is all over this thing, okay? This, anyways, I gotta go. Anyways, he gives breath, neshama, to the people on it. That's your initial. He breathed into Adam the neshama of life, right? And then Adam exhaled it. And so then God gives ruach 
to those who walk on it. God is the one who gives us the ability to continue to live. If you didn't have breath, you couldn't live. That's Jesus. In Him was life. He is the one. In the Word, the Word is the one who gives you existence, who gives you the ability to breathe. You can't even breathe without Him. Do you get it? I mean, I was watching, I think it was Louis Giglio, um, a little part of it again as he was going through the, the, the planets. And as you go through the planets, he wasn't pointing this one out, but as you go through the planets, you, all you see is um, solid mass, solid mass, solid mass. And you come, you, earth comes through, and all of a sudden there's lands and waters and clouds and stuff. And then solid mass, solid mass, solid mass, solid mass. You get it? No life, no life, no life. You know, we got life. No life, no life. Do you... I mean, you can't even breathe if, 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 if God didn't put the proper mixture on the earth and give you your ability for your lungs to kind of move back and forth. And we just evolved. How stupid. How foolish. Anyway, I got to go. Anyways, he's the creator. John 5, we'll look at it as we come to it. But the Father, again, this triunity, for as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son to have life in himself. Okay? It's been granted to the Son. How does this play out? Because the Son is who? Is, is God as well. This triunity, this trinity, this um, is marvelous mystery that's here. Then finally we're told that he was also the light. That the life was the light of men. That was the true light, which gives light to every man that comes into the world. Now we don't have time to go into this. We'll speak about this a lot as we go through. Where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In 1 John Right off the bat, God, uh, John again in his epistle says, God is light. So if Jesus is the light, and God is the light, then Jesus is God. I mean, in John's mind, this is a no-brainer. Okay, This is like Paul in his letter to Titus. God our Savior, Jesus our Savior. Chapter 2, God our Savior, Jesus our Savior. Chapter 3, God our Savior, Jesus our Savior. In Paul's brain... Who was Jesus? It was God. I mean, they're one and the same. The incarnation of the word. So transition from the identification of the word into the incarnation of the word, okay? Verse 14, we read then, what about this word? While the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, right? So the first thing is that he became, remember our word, ginomai? He wasn't created. He wasn't born. He didn't become who he was because he was born. He became flesh. He wasn't conceived in a normal manner. Do you get it? He already existed. He just became flesh. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7, I'm only giving you verse 7 here for time, right? But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bronze servant and coming in the what? likeness of men colossians we read that that he was the icon of god so there are different words in the greek for a form well the icon is what the statue that that someone would create and when you create that icon what what do i know about it it's hollow so it doesn't blow up in the kiln right and so in that hollow part in the in the in the false religions they would take their different herbs and different things and they would stuff them up inside this okay and so like the the gods and goddesses of fertility they would put like am i using the word right aphrodisiacs inside there okay and so you would take that and that would encourage the okay you get it okay so paul in his letter to the colossians says that jesus is the icon of God, and in him dwells, was stuffed, the fullness of God bodily. Does that blow your brain? The fullness. How much? What does that mean to you? It doesn't mean just a part of it. It means the fullness to me. And so how do you say he took some things away? He limited himself. He, yeah, he did. 
He chose to do that because he says self-perfect self-control. Oh, isn't that enough? I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, no, it, 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 you're right. I mean, it, this whole thing is what? Yeah, it's God. That's exactly. It's mind-blowing. Look, you don't, there are so many times I, I, I can't believe this um, because it's just a struggle for me. And I go back out and I look at creation. I look at my own body. And I know what? There's a creator. There is a designer. There is a God. And that God has revealed himself. And so, I, I promise you, I have, every time the Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons come to my door, I, 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 I check, check myself out again. Because I want to believe the truth. I don't want to believe a lie. And if I'm, think, if I'm teaching you all, I'm going to give an account for everything I'm teaching you. I believe that, okay? And so, I, I mean, I, I'm willing to change that. I believe that Jesus died on a Thursday. That was a big deal. Because I grew up believing that Jesus died on what? Because that's what I was taught. I was, he, he died on Friday. It was Good Friday. I mean, you know, you had a holy, holy communion happen on Thursday. I mean, this is how it plays out, you know? And so for me to do that, for me to get baptized, I was re-baptized. I was an Anabaptist. Anyways, I was re-baptized. That was a big deal. Because I was baptized as a, a baby. I became a child of God at baptism as a baby. No, I didn't. And I had to walk away from all this. So this is a big deal. So the Trinity... The triunity of God, the deity of Christ is on the table for me. I hope that doesn't shake you a little bit. It's on the table. Because if it's not truth, get rid of it. But you know what? I can't. It is all over. So for me to deny it is to deny the creator. Which I cannot do. He took the form of a bondservant. He came in the likeness of men. But this is the part that really is funny. And you don't see it in English. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. No, no. The word skenos, skenao, is the verb form of skenos, which is the word tabernacle or tent. He tented among us. In, on your sermon note sheets, I don't have time to get into it, but I put your other words there that are normally used, like um, menos and... Uh, um, what's the other word in Greek? Uh, kata oikos. Uh, kata oikos. Um, and so oikos, again, is house. Kata is according to. So it's, you know, it's like being housed here. So it's, it's a permanent dwelling place. Meno is to remain. And so he tented among us is what it is. And so we see in Revelation 21 a perfect picture of this. So think Zechariah. I don't, we're going to look at Zechariah in a moment, but a different portion of it. But if you can go back and remember the messages from the book of Zechariah when we were way back in the beginning, when Yahweh says that I will come and I will dwell in their midst, right? And we see this again in Isaiah chapter 48. But anyways, Revelation 21 verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle, skenos, of God is with men, and he will dwell, skeno, and he will tabernacle with them, and they shall be as people. God himself will be what? With them and be their God. Because Jesus was the word who became flesh and tabernacled. And he's going to come back and tabernacle again. It's just a tent. It's just a tent. No man has seen God at any time we're going to talk about this in a moment but i got to talk about what he revealed first he revealed the glory of the only begotten okay and so you can see the passages there where the only begotten is talked about okay but it goes back into genesis 22 with um um abraham with isaac but again we see it in zechariah 12 at the end of zechariah's prophecies when he's talking about the return of yahweh this is yahweh speaking and I will pour on the house of David on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me whom they pierced. Who was pierced? Jesus. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. He is the only begotten. People want to debate how this plays out in the eternity of God. 
that's like talking about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. I haven't got a clue. Do I look like God? I was made in the image and likeness. I'm a spirit being, but no, I promise you, if I look like God, you don't, right? So, because we don't look the same. We're all individuals, okay? So, but the reality is, I'm not God. I haven't got a clue how God became, because he didn't. He always was. And I haven't got a clue, then within that Godhead thing, (laughs) and I don't mean that disrespectfully, I really don't mean to, because I can't comprehend it, how they determined the hierarchy of who was the Father, who was the Son, and who was the Holy Spirit. That hasn't been revealed to us. Do you get it? And I've learned to be okay with that. There's just some things that I'll never know. Because God hasn't chosen to what? Tell them to me. Hasn't chosen to reveal them. But what he has chosen to reveal belong to us. And to whom much is given, much is required. Don't you love this? He exegeted. You say, that's a big word now. Oh no, it's a Greek word brought into English. He exegeted the Father. This is a beautiful word. He has declared him. No, it's even beyond that. He exegeted him. To give a detailed understanding, to explain or interpret. No man has seen God at any time. So how do you, how do you deal with that? How can you even tell me what he's like? Because no one's what? No one's seen him. Can you tell me anybody who has seen God? I can. Good job. Abraham. Avram. But he had just changed his name to Avraham. So Avraham did see him, even though he was Avram in the chapter before that, right? Who changed his name from Avram to Avraham? Yahweh did, right? And then in Genesis chapter 18, we see that Yahweh appeared to Avraham. Three men came up. And spoke to him. And then in that account, it's Yahweh speaking to Abraham. And then Yahweh speaks to Sarah as well, who was Sarai. Because, anyways, I don't have time to get into the passage. But what did then Abraham see? He saw a tabernacling presence of Yahweh on the earth. Now, I think Jesus. But I, I, I won't. Someone wants to debate me on that thing. Okay, fine. I think he saw a tabernacling presence of Yahweh. I think Yahweh is Jesus, so that kind of makes sense to me, right? Okay? But I'm, you know, what about those three guys who were in a, in a fire? And Nebuchadnezzar looks in, and he sees what? He sees four. One's like the Son of Man. Now, it could have been an angel, but it could have very well been Jesus coming down, right? So we could go multiple places. I mean, Jacob wrestles with, yeah, a, a, a tabernacling presence of God. We were told he wrestled with God, but he really didn't wrestle with God. God, you know, spoke. So what we see is this tabernacling presence. Now, what's fun about this is this goes into the word um, shachanah is the Hebrew word for this shachan, shachanah, okay, in um, the, the, for the word tabernacle, okay, is if you take this Greek, bring it over into the Hebrew, okay, again, you got to think Jewish, think Jewish, what he's saying here, okay, Okay, and, and so this is the Shekhinah, and, and we beheld his what? His Chabod. Have you ever heard of the Shekinah glory of God? The Shekhinah Chabod. What was the Shekinah glory of God? The Shekhinah Chabod. No. The, close, very, very close. What was it? The pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And so, Zoe, when they were sanctifying it, Okay, and they had the Holy of Holies. What happened? That came in and filled it. That's exactly right. And everybody had to get out because, oh man, the fullness of God was indwelling that tabernacle fully. And nothing else could be there. Isn't that kind of cool stuff? I mean, when you start thinking of all this imagery and bring uh, just, just fine, boggling and blowing stuff going on here. Okay, anyways, he exegeted the Father. So if you want to know what the Father looks like if he was on the earth just join philip lord show us the father and it will suffice us 
Philip, have I been so long with you and you haven't recognized me? That's pretty profound stuff, isn't it? The privilege then, go into the invitation of the word, because the word in the midst of all this is giving us an invitation. He came to his own, his own did not receive him. I think that's probably Israel. It could be creation, but I think it's Israel. He came unto his own, his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. The invitation. The word gives you an invitation. And that is to believe or not to believe. To receive or reject. To as many as receive him, to many as will believe in who he is. He gives them the authority, the right, the privilege to be called the children or sons of God. And if you weren't in Sunday school, you missed it. Because we went through that in such great detail from Galatians. The spirit whereby we can call him Abba. What a tremendous privilege we have. But it comes by following the path which he states. And that path is to those who believe in his name. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father except by me. There is no other means of salvation. I don't care how good you are. Your good works will never outweigh your bad works. I don't care if you grew up in a Baptist church. I don't care if you went down an aisle. I don't care whether you said five Our Fathers and two Hail Marys or you said a sinner's prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. I think there's a whole lot of people going to hell because of a sinner's prayer. I state your name. Do solemnly swear that you're a sinner and that you can't save yourself. Now, if you didn't mean it, if you're looking for fire insurance, you can blow it. I'm just telling you. Clearly, God's word says in 1 John, again, John, here we go again, right? Okay, he says that God is light in him is no darkness at all. If you say you have fellowship with him and you walk in darkness, you lie and you do not the truth. I didn't say it. He did. In chapter two, he says that those who who claim to be his, who say they know him, ought to walk even as he walked. And if you're not doing that, you're a liar. He said that I didn't. If you're only punching your ticket going to church or watching a, a, a video on YouTube, then you're not his. And the sad thing is, the day will declare it. One day, everyone will go before the judgment seat of God. Small and great. No difference. And you'll be judged according to what's in the, the book of works that you've done. And in them, every single individual is condemned. But only those whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life, those who received his name, believed in his name, will enter into the presence of God. It was God's plan, not ours. Not by, out of blood, not out of the will of flesh, not out of the will of a male. A male. Yeah. It's like the best for last. It's not even the will of man, like anthropos, mankind. This is the word andros. See, there is the word anthropos, which is generic man, mankind. But there's the word andros, which is, talks about a guy. And there's the gunikos, which talks about a woman. It's not out of the will of a will, and will, a will of a male individual. So what's the big deal? Because honestly, throughout, this proper term here would be an anthropos. It's not of the will of mankind. It's not of the will of a man. Jesus wasn't a man. Again, you missed it in English. But there's no mistaking that John wrote what he wrote for a reason. By the inspiration of God. Again, all through this passage, stamped on it, is who John knew Jesus to be. He wasn't a man. It wasn't the will of a man. It was the will of God. So, who is Jesus to you? 
Have you received him into your life? Have you submitted to the will and plan of God? Again, I'm not to try to say that you're not saved, but again, on that day, I don't want to be there in in the jury box, if you would, okay? Watching as a witness and seeing people whom I've known in sorrow, the weeping, of being sent apart from God for all of eternity. I believe it's real. Does your life reflect one who truly believes that Jesus is the Son of God, who became the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world? Are you desiring to be set apart unto Christ? Those who are his will desire to be that way. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for using men like John, for reminding us, Lord, that that in and of ourselves we are nothing. And yet by your power of your Holy Spirit, you can cause us to speak in such ways that we never thought it was possible. You would... You can empower us to do things that we thought we could never accomplish because you are God. Lord, I pray that for those who are here and for those who may ever stumble upon this message, Lord, that whoever read this passage, Lord, that you would open up their eyes and that they might see that you alone are God and that they would call upon your name and be saved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.